Thank you, Alexis, for that prayer. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate you ministering to us in song. And church, worship is a group project. Uh, love to hear you sing. Love to hear you sing. One of my favorite parts of Sunday morning, although I have to admit, opening up the Word of God and being able to preach to you, it's the, it's the greatest privilege, the greatest joy. When we have those aha moments together, we have a deeper understanding and appreciation for who God is and what He's doing. Well, that's everything. That's what we were made for. And in fact, last week, as we finished up our, our short mini-series on the Word of God, we heard from the, from the mouth of Jesus himself, what does God want above all else? What is more important than anything else? In fact, all of the law, all the prophets, everything hangs on it. He said it's to love God with all that you are, with your fullest devotion, your heart, your mind, your body, your strength, your career, everything. Do you know and love the God who himself is love and opens up that door to a personal relationship? You see, every time we open up this word, one of two things happens. If you're a believer, if you have been put your faith in Christ and his spirit is inside of you, you have a personal relationship with God. Every time we open up this word, even if we're just studying the introductory verses of a book, which is what we're about to do in 1 Timothy, you can grow into a deeper loving relationship with God. You can love your neighbor more sincerely and openly and, and discover God's purpose for your life. Or if you are not a follower of Jesus, you don't know God personally, it's an open invitation. There's nothing holding you back from knowing this kind of life-changing love if you will but hear. And as Pastor Dennis said, trust that this God knows you, made you, and has a purpose for your life. So I invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy. If you have a smart device, go ahead and, and Google it if you need to, or pull up your app. But 1 Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his protege, a young pastor named Timothy. And as a young pastor, this, uh, this letter holds a lot of significance for me, but so much more than just for pastors. We're going to look at the overall theme, which has a lot to do with the church. It is a letter to the church as much as it is to the pastor. And as you turn there, I want to ask you a question. When you were growing up, did you have rules in your house? Or, or should I ask it this way? Did your parents have rules in the house? You know what I'm saying? Don't run in the house. That, that's one of the more obvious ones. Don't throw a ball in the house. Or hit a golf ball towards the house, which might have been something that my parents told me and course I didn't listen to and you know the window was in shatters after that uh, there's rules for a reason how about not tracking mud through the house mom just mopped the floor can you not can you not do that now when you become a parent you realize you have to put a lot more rules on things you never thought you'd have to put rules on like don't eat glue okay don't don't dig stuff out of the trash can, okay? And and put your hands all in it. And don't put your feet in your sibling's face. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna point names or say which sibling is which, okay? I think this is part of the human experience. But there's almost always this phrase that's used when the rule is given. Unless it was just my human experience, but usually it was something like this: as long as you're a part of this family. You will do this or that, right? Or as long as you're living under this roof, 
and then there's the mandate given. And and it's assumed, okay, I'm always going to be a part of this family, or at least for a number more years, if you're a child, I'm going to be living under this roof. So as long as you're living under that roof, here's how we behave. Here's how we conduct ourselves. The book of First Timothy is written to the church, the household of God, and it's God setting a healthy plan for the church. If you are a part of the household of God, if you call yourself a Christian, as long as you say, I love God and I'm devoted to Jesus, well then. So it's not just a list of rules. It's also clarification on how you can know you're a part of this family and what our, our identity does for the way that we live. Because this is God's family. This is his household. The gospel changes people. It changes the way we live. And so a church, this is the main theme of 1 Timothy, a godly church shines brightly for Jesus in the world. That's what we want to be. Not just a church. Not just another church. We don't need more churches. We don't need bigger churches. We need more healthy churches. We need more loving churches. We need more churches that are going to preach and live the word, who are going to walk the walk and talk the talk. And we'll see that in, in two main points. We're going to see that in the purpose of the letter. That's the first main point. And the second main point is the priority of the local church. We see that from the beginning. So we're going to read these first two verses together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Jesus Christ our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's it. That's all we're going to tackle this morning, because believe it or not, there's a whole lot packed in there, and in the main point of the book that we need to understand what letter we're studying. And to help you out with that, uh, in your own personal reading, because I do hope you also will read through 1 Timothy, read through the whole thing in one sitting. It'll take you 15 minutes, maybe 20, and you will see it as a letter, and those, uh, this outline will help you understand where Paul is going with his flow. But it's a letter written in the early 60s AD. So that's about 30 years after Christ rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. So both a significant, significant historical event, but also theological, which means what does that communicate about God? It means Jesus is on the throne. Now he's on the throne. He's communicating to the church. This is how my body is to act as you live out your faith and relationship with me. And the namesake of the letter, Timothy, his name means, in the Greek, one who honors God. Which I think is a very fitting name for a pastor who's trying to lead a church to honor God. <clears throat> now, Timothy had a Greek father, and he had a Jewish mother. He grew up in Lystra, which was one of the cities in the Mediterranean region where Paul went on his missionary journeys. But here's the thing. His grandmother and his mother raised him to know the Bible. They faithfully taught him the Old Testament scriptures. Can we all say, thank God for the awesome women of God who are faithful to know him and know the word and pass that on to the next generation. Men, we need to do the same thing. I don't know Timothy's father's story. Maybe he did as well, or maybe he was an unbeliever, but 
there's a special emphasis here and a commendation um, later in the letter for, uh, for his mother and his grandmother. Now, Paul took on the form of, uh, you could say, a spiritual father figure to Timothy. At some point, probably on Paul's second missionary journey, he introduces Timothy to Jesus. You know, the one, the whole Old Testament has been talking about and, and promising there's a Messiah to come. Timothy and, and your mom and your grandma, I want to introduce you to him. His name is Jesus, the Son of God. And he came and he was all that was promised and more. And he led him to faith in Jesus Christ. There's no greater joy than to know Jesus and be able to lead someone else to him. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever had the privilege of leading someone to faith in Jesus? There is a bond there now. You love that person enough to share some truth with them, and God used it to change their life. So there's this bond now between Paul and Timothy. He's like a father to Timothy. He's like, you're my true child in the faith because you were born of God the Father. But there's this bond that we share now. And Timothy would follow along with Paul on his missionary journeys. He would help him start these churches. He was church planting around the area like we're doing today, trying to reach North Sarasota strategically. Well, where Paul is going, there are no churches. There's synagogues, and the Jews are teaching the law in the Old Testament, but there's no churches. So they're planting churches that are centered around Jesus Christ. Now, hold your place in those first two verses and turn with me to chapter 3. It's unusual. This is something you should probably write down if you're taking notes. 1 Timothy is an exception. In most letters, you're going to find the purpose of the letter written in the first few verses. Here's why I'm writing to you. But in 1 Timothy, he tells us his purpose for writing smack dab in the middle of the letter. So we can't make the mistake of of not knowing what that is as we start verse by verse. Thank you so much, buddy. Thank you. You could see the need. You could hear it. And I will gladly accept that cup of water. Thank you. Now, at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, Paul says, here's why I'm writing to you. Timothy, I hope to come to you soon. But in case I'm delayed, I'm, I'm writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. An old fancy Old fancy word, but uh, you, you know, you use that that image of a pillar, okay? Stronghold, a, a, a visible reminder of the truth of the gospel. That is what the church is. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So that's the purpose. Church, if you are in Christ, you are the family of God. So you're in His household. Have you ever thought of that before? Yes, we have our. Our physical families and households, have you ever imagined that you're part of God's household for those who are in Christ? When, when it, God says, I'm the father, he really means that. And we are brothers and sisters in his family together. And because that's so important, Paul says, I, I got to write this letter to clarify something. I got to defend the true gospel against these false teachers who are coming in teaching you can have a relationship with God differently than the way that Jesus showed us. He says, no, 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 we cannot have that. And here's Timothy's problem. We're told later that that this problem actually was causing him stomach ulcers, probably, anxiety inside of him. He is burdened for this church. Why? 
because these false teachers are dividing the church with their twisted teaching. Because healthy Bible teaching does what? It brings the church together. False teaching divides. Or people who like to emphasize one part of the Bible while ignoring the others, that divides. So it's either false teaching or false living. It appears that some of these false teachers, whoever they were, they were trying to mix the way of Christ with what they knew and were familiar with, which was Judaism. So they would say things like, God hates you if you eat pork. Or you are not in fellowship with God if you eat pork. Or marriage is a sin. You need to stay single. If you really love God, you're going to stay single because that shows your, your pure and holy devotion. Does that strike you as, that's not right. That, what, what are you talking? But these false teachers take on this authority. They preach with authority or they talk with authority and they're trying to get followings after them. They're trying to turn the, the body of Jesus Christ into a Jewish quasi-cult of which they would be the head. Of course, we know if you take one or two verses from the Bible, you can make it say anything that you want. It's called cherry picking. It's called uh, subverting the text. It's called ignoring context. Or You can see why Timothy would be distraught. He has poured his life into these people. He's preaching on the word. He's a young pastor, but man, he has a heart for the Lord and for the ministry. And here, right in front of his eyes, the people are starting to argue, and it's about things that are not even in the Bible. This is not what Christ has called us to. And Paul has compassion on him. He has so much compassion on him. And he wants to clarify, this is the true gospel. Not that Timothy needs reminding, but he needs to be reminded of the authority behind it to deal with the false teachers. He says in verse 1, going back to chapter 1, we only have one hope, and it is who? Christ Jesus. It is not in me or my self-righteousness or maybe the good things I do. So maybe you've heard that about Christianity. Oh, it's about being a good person, going to church, uh, staying out of trouble, staying on the straight and narrow. Is that, is that, that's basically the essence of Christianity. No. The essence of Christianity is do you know God in a personal relationship, which can only happen if you accept Jesus Christ, his son, as the gift of salvation. Later in chapter one, he'll say this. It's such an important statement. He even says, this is such an important statement. Let me read it here. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. This is what's most important. It's not about what you guys have for lunch afterwards. Okay, but sure. Yeah, don't. Don't be a glutton and don't, you know, make yourself sick with, with you know, overindulging. That, that's just general wisdom, and, and, and Scripture speaks to that too. But do you know Christ? Do you love Christ? This is the gospel. We cannot be good apart from God. That's where a lot of people get it wrong. Oh, I can be a good person. You cannot be a good person because Jesus clearly said, why do you call me good? Because only God is good. All the rest of us have fallen short, but not Jesus. So there is one who is good. So yeah, you can have a nice life. You can do religious activities, but you're never actually going to have peace with God unless your sin debt is satisfied. Satisfied. Because the peace doesn't come from me. 
the peace must come from God if it is eternal hope, if it is eternal peace. And without the gospel, you don't understand what it means to be a part of God's family. So you are all welcome here to Living Hope Church this morning. But there are a number of us who are actually part of the true body of Christ because he has saved us. The rest of you have an open invitation in front of you today. You can enter into that relationship, but it's not going to be because of you. It's going to be because of Christ. And we had a really good discussion about this in our small group on, on Wednesday night. <clears throat> Sorry, I got another sip of water. Ryan did an awesome job sharing the, the three circles, which is a way to explain God's big story. God's design, what sin and brokenness did, how Christ came and he makes all things whole, but you have to repent and believe. And when we do, he restores us back to that relationship that we were created for. And, but what often happens is when we share the gospel, we've got to clarify a few things. What does that mean? What does that not mean? And, and so we talked about it and, and we had this discussion. So what about the other religious views out there? And are there multiple ways to heaven? You know, what, what if this is just what works for us and what works for someone else is, is different? And the gospel says there is no other way. There's not. And think about it logically with me. Paul hints at this in verse 2 when he says, the faith. <laughs> not as if there is another faith. He says in another one of his letters, I think it's Galatians, not that there is another gospel. There's one gospel. But think about this. Jesus Christ claimed to be God in the flesh. Yes or no? Yes. So you either believe that or you don't. Jesus was telling the truth or Jesus was a liar. Jesus predicted he would die on the cross and three days later he would rise from the dead. Yes or no? Yes. And did he rise from the dead three days later? Yes. So either he did physically, historically, and keeping his promise rise from the dead or he did not. Then we're also told that he physically appeared to many witnesses. Remember, this is part of the purpose of this letter. He appeared to many witnesses, one of whom, uh, what was his name? Starts with a P. Paul, the writer of the letter, says, I saw Jesus, resurrected, risen Lord, and he was so glorious, he blinded my eyes for three days. Oh, I wonder if there's some symbolism there. And then Ananias had to come and lay hands on him. And God miraculously healed his sight. From then on, Paul's life was changed. He went and he was a missionary for Jesus instead of a persecutor against the church. Dramatic life change. Either Jesus appeared to Paul or this is all a lie. There's not multiple ways, friends. There's one story of good news. In fact, Paul was so convinced of this gospel. He was so convinced of the life change in his own heart. And, and, you know, as many of you know, that he had death threats breathed against him all the time from the Jews everywhere he went because they hated him because he was turning people to Christ. He traveled on his third missionary journey when he got to Ephesus, the church that Timothy was a pastor of at this time. That was about 1,050 miles away. Well, actually, Berea was the furthest point in his third missionary journey. So if you, were to, if you were to look at a map of Florida, okay, I looked this up because I wanted to see how far of a distance is this, okay? So imagine this is the state of Florida, okay? That's the Atlantic coast, and here's the Gulf. Over here is New Orleans. Let's say Paul started at Miami. 
And then he came across the state to Marco Island, because you can't really take a highway around the, the southern tip of Florida. I don't, know, I don't know if you knew that. But come over to Marco Island. Then you come up here to Tampa, and then you hug the coast, and you go up to uh, Apalachicola, right? I'd look up, look that up, see how to say that. You keep going to Panama City, over here to Mobile, over here to New Orleans. It's about 1,050 miles. Most of it, Paul traveled by foot. Every now and then, he'd hop in a boat. He was so convinced, this is the good news of eternal life. Can you imagine traveling that far? And that was just one of his missionary journeys. He did multiple, four, five. We know for sure there were three, most likely more. And all the stops he made, he, he preached this message. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And friend, that's you and me. I'm not up here preaching at you. This letter is for me too. I need Jesus. There's no other way. If you aren't clear on the gospel, everything else is going to be fuzzy. Who is the family of God? How do I know if I'm going to spend eternity in heaven? And uh, what, uh, what hope do I have for this life? I don't know. Maybe Jesus was right. Maybe Jesus was wrong. Whew. What a scary way to live life. Maybe I'm going to heaven. Maybe I'm not. Friend, I don't know how you can live in that place. But can I encourage you? You don't have to. The way is clearly laid out, and it is through Christ. Let's be explicit about that. It's the gospel. It always has. And if we want to be a church that glorifies God, we keep Christ at the center. It's not about Paul. It's not about Timothy. And it's not about me and you. It's about Christ. We get to know and worship and serve the King. And because he is love and because he is grace, oh, we prioritize living as the body of Christ. And that's our second main point, the priority of the local church. Why? Why the priority? Because of who we are. We're the family of God. Look at verse 2. God is Father. He's Father. That's the most foundational thing you need to know about the first member of the Trinity. Trinity is a term that we use to describe the amazing oneness of God, but also the threeness of God. There are three persons in one. And the top figurehead or person is God the Father. And he wants to be known as the Father. He wants you to, to have a relationship with him as a father. In John 20, verse 17, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. So not just anybody. This isn't universalism. Anybody has God as the Father. No, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, my father is now your father because you have come to him by the son. God is an adopting God. He wants you in his family. He wants you to be his child. So much so that his one and only son, his most precious son, the second member of the Trinity, God the son, came down to our broken world and our sinful world and took on human form a fully human nature so that he could be broken on the cross. His blood was needed to satisfy all of our sins against God, past, present, future. There's a reason we don't know God as Father, and it's not his fault, it's ours. We are the rebels. We turned against him. 
We had no desire to be in his family, and we could not pay the price for our own sins. But listen to what Paul says. He says, grace, mercy, and peace come from the Father. Grace, mercy, and peace. This reminds me of another time that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, which is a letter written to the church that Timothy is pastoring. He says in verse 14, Jesus himself is our peace. He bought us peace. He made us one by breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Do you ever get sick of all the wars in our world? Why people can do such horrible things to each other? you ever get sick of the heartache? And, and the fatigue, and the division, and the hate? Why can't we all just get along? It's because our DNA is corrupted. We don't know any other way. I am not peace. The United States of America is not peace. Europe is not peace. It doesn't matter where you look. You can look under any rock on this planet. You will not find peace. You say, well, Josh, I could just, I could go out in the wilderness, just me live as a hermit, and I would be at peace. No, because someone who is not at peace inside themselves is never going to find peace. Until you have peace with God, which comes through Jesus Christ, you cannot know what it means to have peace in life. And the local church, we are orphans who were all broken and off and living in rebellion, and we were pursued and loved by a loving Heavenly Father and he has adopted us into his family. He says, the adoption price has been paid. My son took care of that. And he rose from the dead to offer you a new and living way. Don't you want to come? Don't you want to be a part of my family? Tell me anyone else in your life who loves like Jesus. Anyone else who will love you even when you turn your back on him. He never gives up loving you. That's the kind of God that we have. Grace, mercy, and peace flow from him. Grace because we don't deserve his favor. He just loves us. Mercy, because I know we suffer. We suffer from the consequences of our sin. We suffer from broken relationships and hurt in this world. You know, God has mercy for you. Amen. He cares that you're suffering and he wants to meet you there in that brokenness. Church, I know. I know we suffer and I know we have people in this room who have been suffering for a long time with this burden or that burden or or a loss, or a struggle, God cares about your hurt. He loves you. He is not against you. He has mercy and faithfulness towards you. And when we accept that, and we allow God to reorder our heart and our lives through this relationship in the new and living way that Jesus opens up, we have peace. True, inner, outer peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. Friend, our identity in Christ is the most important thing about us. And it's kind of funny because people could look at our church and say, well, they don't have their own building yet. They're not a church. Oh, they only have, what, 30, 40 people? Nah, come on. Call me when they hit 100. Then you'll be a church. No, no, no. My Bible says the church is every New Testament believer who has the Spirit of God inside of them. You are the church. And Jesus says, well, there's two or more gathered in my name. I'm there among them. 
Now, that doesn't mean that if every time two people gather, you have a church service, okay? That's, you know, First Timothy will explain more of what a healthy church is, but it'd be a mistake to say, oh, we're not a church yet, but we'll get there. Do you know who you are in Christ? It changes everything. It's not our size. It's the power of God in our midst. It's the peace we have in our hearts because of him, and that affects how we live. We have a new relationship. This changes everything, don't you think? If God all of a sudden is no longer a judge who's going to judge my sin and he's going to punish me for all of eternity, but, but I see a different side of him through Jesus, I see grace, I see hope, I see love, and I've accepted that relationship, everything looks different. How do I honor the Father as a parent? How do I honor the Father as a spouse? boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a child? How do I honor him? How do I honor him as a single or, or with my career? Jesus says it all boils down to loving God and loving others. Or you could say it like this, to be like Jesus. That's what godliness is. And that's a term you'll see nine times in the book of 1 Timothy. Be on the lookout for that. Mark it as you go through. Godliness. What does that mean? Christ-likeness, being like Jesus. If you know Jesus, then your life looks completely different than it did before. doesn't mean we're perfect. We'll make plenty of mistakes. There's a lot of sin that I need to uh, unlearn. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but to be like Christ is how we ought to now live. So when someone hears the truth about Jesus, that actually reflects in their life. If someone tells you they're a Christian, but their life looks like someone who doesn't know Christ, aren't you confused? Well, which is it? You tell me one thing, but you live another. Aren't I usually going to go with what someone does rather than what they say? Don't need to raise your hand, but how many of us have been stabbed in the back by somebody before? I thought you were my friend. I thought you cared. You said you loved me, and then you went and did this. So which one do you remember more, the words or the actions? If we know Christ, everything about our life should be reordered. Jesus told us in his Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth. You give seasoning, ah, oh, seasoning, good flavor to life. That's the goodness of Christ. You are also the light of the world. Remember our main point of 1 Timothy? A godly church is a bright light for Jesus in this world. But if we don't live like Christ, we're not shining brightly, are we? We're going to be distracting from the purpose of the church. We've been opened up to a new and living way. Remember, we're called to love God with all that we are. Can you honestly say you love God with all that you are? 100% to the fullest capacity, and then tomorrow, you're willing to open up your heart even more and allow God to do more in your life so you can love him even more, just like a little child needs to grow up physically into adulthood and maturity, so we spiritually need to grow up in our understanding of God's love by faith, by obedience to his word, by loving him, by loving others. And I think if we're honest, we all have different sin habits or, or tendencies that we need to unlearn in order to do that. 
Maybe there's some things that you learned from your family, your culture, or your, your background, how you were raised, and that is hindering your ability to fully pursue Christ. We all have it. <laughs> so don't, don't feel bad if you're like, oh, you know, yeah, my parents this or my grandparents. We all have it because your parents weren't perfect, even if they were Christ followers. They were broken too. We need to unlearn the old way of living and man's wisdom, and we need to put on Christ. I read this really good quote the other day. Um, now I need to find it here in my notes. Discipleship requires putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and relearn how do I do life God's way in God's family. Isn't that good? From Peter Scazzaro. Discipleship requires putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and relearning how to do life in God's way in God's family. None of us have been in God's family before, right? So, so what does it mean that God is our father and I'm a child who wants to live my life to please him? You know what? I have no idea, but I got a pretty good guidebook to show me the way. I think a lot of us assume I'm more spiritual than I really am. A lot of the stuff that I do, I do because I learned it. Someone showed it to me. Oh, this is, this is, I talk to my spouse this way because this is how my parents talk to their spouses. You know, I, I, I worry about money because we didn't have enough when I was a kid. And now, I, now I'm really strapped and I, 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 it takes my worry, it takes my focus. Okay, but is that what Christ would have you dwell on? Is that what your father's best is for you? That you're constantly worrying about that or you're speaking out of anger instead of love? Oh, Lord, I'm starting to see. I've got so much growing to do. Well, I've got good news for you, family of Christ. Jesus shows us the way. And he's so faithful and loving and patient. He will lead us. And I want to encourage you, keep prioritizing the local church because you're going to see Christ at work in the lives of the people around you. We've been praying for more people to come be a part of our church who've been walking with Jesus for a minute because so, I need more examples of Christ in my life, and you do too. And don't be fooled. It's not just the silver hairs. Oh, they know everything. Although, thank God, we do have some faithful saints who've been walking with Jesus for many years. It's those who internally have spiritual maturity because they've been walking with Jesus and he's imprinted on their life. Imagine what would happen if you followed Jesus for a lifetime and his love and his peace saturates you. The word of God gives us hope for that. As Pastor Dennis said, this year we want our theme to be people of the word. People of the word. Inward, outward, all the way. And I'm going to remind you of some important ways that we can do that. First, ladies, we want to be women of the word. So we have a free gift for you on the back table. If you haven't grabbed it already, it's a book called Women of the Word. And starting next Monday on the 26th, one Monday a month, so we don't overload your schedule, we're going to go through that. Lacey's going to lead that first discussion and go through that first chapter and discover what does it mean to really know the word of God and live it as women. This summer, we're going to have some Bible teaching workshops to teach you how to read the Bible for yourself and understand it 
and interpret and live it. Do some really good, healthy workshops for you. Pastors will spearhead that. We want to lead you in that. Small groups, of course, will help you discuss and work out the word. I would also encourage you, look at one-on-one mentoring, one-on-one discipleship. Because we need someone who's going to love us enough to step on our toes and, and check in on us and keep an eye on us. Because we all think we're a little bit further along than maybe we really are. <laughs> we, we need someone to guide us in that. And we'll also see, I'm out of time, but we'll see in 1 Timothy, be looking out for what he says about spiritual leadership. Who leads the body of Christ? Ultimately Christ. He's the head. But then who does he set his hand on to call up to be qualified leaders in the church? Timothy was one. Paul was another. Might there be more for the church today? And if so, how do we know what they look like? Guess what? It's already written for us in the word of God. All we got to do is follow the blueprint. So my friends, as I close today, I want to encourage you. Be clear on the gospel. Are you in with Christ or are you on the outside looking in? Can I invite you today to just let down your guard and let him have your heart? Ask him to save you. Ask him to cover you with his grace and his mercy that's already there for you. And church, who is one person that you can help disciple and grow in their faith? Is there somebody that God would cross your paths with and you say, you know what? I'm not that far along as I'd like to in my spiritual journey, but I can help you understand James, the book of 1 Timothy. I've learned it just, just a little bit. And I'd love to share that with you. Healthy disciples make healthy disciples. And when we do that, we'll be a godly church that shines brightly for Jesus in this world. Let me pray.